David Chang has spent his entire life in hospitality, but really began building his own restaurant empire in 2004 when he opened his flagship Mamafuku Noodle Bar right here in the East Village. Since then, he's gone on to open nine more restaurants in six different cities around the world. He's become a TV personality with his Netflix show, Ugly Delicious. And of course, he's also got a pretty successful podcast of his own. Since the global shutdown, he's become an outspoken advocate for small restaurants all over this country. And just last week, the New York Times published an interview with the award-winning chef where he was able to articulate a lot of what I think we're all feeling right now. So if you haven't read the article, I'm going to share the link in the show notes. Take a few minutes to look it over. I think you'll be glad you did. In that article, he talks a lot about how the industry has shifted over the past 10 years and then makes some predictions about how this nationwide shutdown uh, is going to affect our industry for the next 10 years. It's all about the pivot. And since so many of us are having to do that right now, I wanted to take some time and talk about what that looks like. Stick around. There's an old saying goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast dedicated entirely to the restaurant industry. So each week we discuss the tools, tactics, and strategies that will establish you as a leader in your market. That means doing more covers and driving more revenue. Each week we choose a topic, we pick it apart, we come away with some key insights, and then always finish up with an assignment. I leave you with a short, actionable task, something you can do right away to start implementing some of the ideas that we talk about here on the show, because as I always say, information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. If you like the show, go ahead and hit the subscribe button and make sure you're sharing these episodes with the people you work with. Changing the culture in your restaurant begins when you start by letting people in, when you show them what it is you're thinking about. So in this interview, David Chang makes two key observations, and I'm going to use those as the crux of this episode. So early on, he's asked the question, what needs to happen next for restaurants? And he responds by saying, well, we may be heading for the worst case scenario. Even with more government intervention, I'm afraid that it's not going to be adequate for the people who need it the most. I feel like it's the polar opposite of 2008 when they helped the big banks and the insurance companies because they had to or the world as we knew it would end. And now in 2020, we're talking about non-essential businesses and people who don't have the clout to be able to speak directly to government. I have a hard time seeing all the mom and pop shops getting help from the government. So with big business, they're able to band together and lobby lawmakers to help them. Certainly, we saw the big banks do this in 2008, as David pointed out, but also the auto industry and the pharmaceutical companies. But when all these restaurants were forced to close their doors, it mostly affected small business owners. Independently owned restaurants make up a huge chunk of our total industry. And the question is, how can all those individuals band together at a time like this? The reality is profit margins are tight in our industry. For a restaurant, 10% is the promised land, which means that 90% of incoming revenue is going to pay other people, cooks, waiters, managers, but also distributors, purveyors, farmers, winemakers, maintenance companies, landlords, 
all of them get paid out before the restaurant owner does. Most restaurateurs stress about basic cash flow on a week-to-week basis. So what happens now with limited income? Or in the case of all those restaurants who couldn't find a way to pivot to takeout, zero income. Of course, that's the second point that David Chang makes in this interview. In order to survive, restaurant owners all over the country are being forced to pivot. And a restaurant's long-term success may just be determined by their ability right now to pivot to a new model. So I think these two points are important and we're going to bounce back and forth between them to try to sort all of this out. So again, number one, how can small businesses band together to make sure their voices are heard? And number two, how can restaurants pivot to ensure their long-term success? Now, before we go on, I want to let you know that there's a freebie that goes along with this episode. Later in the show, we're going to talk about a bunch of different ideas, ways that I'm seeing other restaurants pivot right now. And so I've collected all 10 of those and created a sheet sheet. You can download that by visiting chipclose.com slash coronavirus. Hopefully you can adapt some of those ideas in your own restaurant, anything to help keep the lights on. Again, chipclose.com slash coronavirus. And again, the link is in the show notes. Now, I've said this before when we talk about competitors, even your biggest rival is not really your enemy. When you identify other restaurants that serve your same audience, that's often a good thing. It means you're in a category, and categories are good because it gives the customer an easy way to remember you. You need them as much as they need you. Of course, that's more true now than ever before. So here in New York City, a bunch of small restaurant owners have actually just banded together to create the New York Hospitality Coalition. They're pooling resources, sharing contacts, and coming together as one unified voice to make sure the government understands their needs. That means at the city, state, and national level, and in just two weeks, they've gotten more than 3,000 followers on Instagram and added thousands of more names to a petition to get Governor Cuomo to support Senate Bill S. 8125A, which is calling for suspending rent payments for all small businesses for 90 days. Now, I'm including links in the show notes, but this is what collaboration looks like. This is what community looks like. I'm sure things like this are happening all over the country, so you need to figure out what sort of support exists in your town. Has somebody already started something like this? Figure out how to get involved. And if something like this isn't happening yet, Go door to door and start gathering other voices. You lead, and I promise others will follow. And if you don't think actions like this can make a difference, you are absolutely wrong. Just days into the shutdown here in New York, uh, the voices raised up together and got the governor to allow bars and restaurants to sell alcohol to go. Their point was that the markup on alcohol is usually so much greater than on food, and that's how they're really able to stay profitable. If they're not allowed to sell it, then there goes their ability to stay afloat. And the folks in Albany listened and amended the existing laws, and so all of these restaurants that had switched to a delivery model suddenly got back a crucial revenue stream. That happened because people got together and stood up for each other. So over the coming weeks and months, I think our success will largely be reliant on these community groups. So if you're sitting on the sidelines waiting to see if someone else goes first, let me assure you, there is no time to waste. Jump in. 
So again, I'm going to include a couple of links in the show notes for some of these groups here in New York City. If you guys know of any others, please drop me a line, send me an email, and I'll send out an additional email to the uh, to the whole group later this week with the full list, and I'm happy to add that into future uh, podcasts, um, a link to all of those resources. And so, as restaurants and bars have been forced to shut down for in-house dining, they've all done one of two things, either close their doors indefinitely or maybe for good. Or, as I know many of you are doing out there, you've gone to a takeout model, preparing food for pickup and delivery. So every business is different, but I think this pivot, or or rather this ability to pivot, your willingness to pivot, says a lot about you and the brand you're building. Staying nimble, I think, is going to be a key ingredient to a business's success after all this is over. So over the past year or so, I've listened to tons of experts talk about how delivery is destined to be the future of hospitality in America. And on the one hand, yeah, okay, I can see why one might make that case. Sites like Seamless, Grubhub, and Caviar have made ordering in easier than ever before. But the problem for me has always been the cut off the top. So those companies will often take 10, 20, sometimes 30% right off the top, thus severely limiting a restaurant's ability to stay profitable by offering delivery. So how tight of a profit margin can we live with? My goal with my own clients has always been to try to keep your delivery in-house. Of course, how do you do that, right? The ease of use for an app like Seamless is a lot to work against, right? The answer, I think, is to not get caught in the commodity trap. So the last thing we want to do is make a commodity product. Why? Because commodity products are generic. Generic means forgettable. So the way to stand out in the delivery market is the same way you stand out in your regular market. It's that thing Seth Godin talks about time and time and time again, and the thing I'm always urging you to do here on the show. Be remarkable. Create a product that's remarkable. Create a product so good So bold, so weird, so memorable, so delicious that people can't help but remember you and talk about you and order from you again the next time they decide to go get takeout. If people remember you, they will be willing to visit your website to order instead of just going directly to Seamless or Grubhub. So remember a few weeks back, I had Salim Khatri on the show, and he was talking about a program that his company, Lavu, now offers, a way to cut out these third-party sites. And he shared a strategy on that episode for doing it. Whether you use his platform or not, that strategy is sound. There's also a service called uh, Chow Now, which uh, charges a flat monthly fee in lieu of a commission per order. So for something like $99 a month, you can take unlimited orders. Their site integrates seamlessly with your own site, and they'll even build you an app. Imagine that. You get your users to download your app, and then there's a constant reminder right there on their phone. They can open it up and place an order anytime they like. This, I believe, is the only way forward to find ways to cut out the companies that lob a chunk right off the top. The question is, are you able to do it, and are you willing to do it? So again, in the Times interview with David Chang, he talks about how things have shifted just over the past few years, specifically how we're seeing ghost restaurants pop up all over the country. And if you've never heard that term, let me explain what it is. So basically, people were looking at what was happening with delivery and they suddenly realized, why do I need a restaurant anymore? If I can just build a delivery business via Grubhub or Seamless, and if I know I'm not going to cater to in-house dining, then why spend money on building out a dining room? And for that matter, why would I need frontage? 
Why not just rent space in a commercial kitchen or build out a space on the second or third floor of a building and cut my rent in half or maybe more? So suddenly the finances look a lot different. If a ground level space costs, let's say $15,000 a month and a space in that same building, but one flight up costs $5,000 a month, why would I go for the higher rent if I know that the majority of my revenue is gonna come from delivery? The question then becomes, do I believe I'll get enough income from in-house dining to justify that higher rent? And I think that's worth a second look. I think that trend of ghost restaurants is going to continue to grow, especially as we come out of this crisis. The other interesting thing he was pointing out is that over the past few years, the industry started to shift one further. Some enterprising young folks thought, well, most of the time people are scrolling through Seamless and thinking, what kind of food do I want tonight? Chinese or sushi or Greek or burgers? Well, since we have a space up on the second floor of some building that has no direct contact with the public, why don't we create five different concepts and execute them all out of the same kitchen? So we can offer a Greek menu and a Chinese menu and a Japanese menu and so on, and then it doesn't matter what the diner wants, we're going to get their money one way or another. And isn't that kind of brilliant? They figured out a whole new way to build a business, a way to lean into the current system and make the numbers work in their favor. If it were me, I would absolutely look into doing something like this. Maybe maybe not five concepts under one roof, but what about two or three? So over these past few weeks, I've loved watching restaurants rebrand themselves and figure out new ways forward. I've loved working with my own clients to help them solve this problem of how to drive sales in a new way. But most of what we're talking about are sit-down restaurants who have had to reinvent their business model and become a takeout restaurant. But how then can you become a better takeout restaurant, a more profitable business? So I think this crisis is going to shake up our industry in all kinds of ways, not just with all the restaurants that are going to close for good, though there will undoubtedly be many and it will be difficult to watch. But I think for the better as well, I think people are going to start thinking about this more as a business and less of a passion project. I think people are going to put profits first, and of course they should. You should. It's like on airplanes, right? They tell you to put on your own mask before you try to help anyone else. Because if you pass out while trying to help your neighbor, then you both lose. If you look out for yourself first, then you can help a bunch of people around you. I think we're going to start seeing new business models on the other side of this crisis. More ghost restaurants? Yeah. A fine dining restaurant that also offers home meal kits? Probably. What we're seeing right now is people getting creative out of necessity, but as the saying goes, necessity is the mother of invention. Collectively, as an industry, we are reinventing ourselves. If you're not part of that, you're going to be left in the dust on the other side of this, I promise. So one of my clients runs a restaurant uh, that his father opened decades ago. His father built the business, and then after he died, his son took it over. The business was profitable. It's always been profitable. It just kept rolling along. So in many ways, the son has never had to think about the business like he's doing right now. And it's been amazing to see. I've spent many afternoons these past few weeks just brainstorming ideas with him, helping him uh, get creative. So as we shut down the restaurant and the catering facility connected to that restaurant, we pivoted to a takeout model and we came up with a couple of promotions. So $25 for a growler of beer. Bring the growler back and refills are just 20 bucks. Same with cocktails. Mason jars filled with one of their three signature cocktails for just 35 bucks. Bring the jar back and refills are just 30 bucks. We slapped branded stickers on the growlers and included little instruction cards with the cocktail jars. 
says like add ice and stir for 30 seconds, pour over a martini glass, finish with an orange twist. And then I worked with the reservationists because this is the other key piece to it, right? They were the ones manning the phones. And I said, you got to make sure you're offering these products to every single person who calls. It's like that old line, right? You want fries with that? The genius of McDonald's in the old days was that everyone was coming in the front door for a hamburger. The big question was, what else can they sell them? So getting a soft drink on the bill and maybe a side of fries was the key to their profitability. So for this client of mine, if a couple orders dinner, they each get a salad for eight bucks, right? Okay, that's 16 bucks. And then let's say they get a burger for 15 bucks and a crab cake entree for 22 bucks. That all comes to $53. If we sell a cocktail jar, it's increasing the check by 65%. So we also put signs up by the front door. So when people come in uh, to pick up their food, there was one more opportunity to get the sale. So if your average check for two people is about 50 bucks for food, then selling drinks becomes crucial to the profitability, especially at a time like this. Now, we also looked at their audience and thought, well, this is primarily a working class neighborhood. People aren't going to be able to order from us that much. So we put together a deal and called it the four for 40, a dinner for four for just $40. So it's roast chicken or meatloaf or pork roast. It, it then comes with a salad for everyone plus sides to go with the dish. You pick one protein for the whole family and the restaurant puts enough in there for four people. The night they launched it, they sold 52 of them. In fact, that first night of delivery was more profitable than a normal dinner service. Not more revenue, but more profitable. And it's been a very cool thing to watch. Okay, so they went from a full service restaurant to a takeout model, reinventing themselves overnight. I'm sure many of you out there have done this very same thing, but make sure you're doing these things. It's really important. Number one, brand the hell out of everything. I mean it, branded bags, stickers with your logo, phone number, website on every container. Number two, train the people on the phones to be salespeople. Make sure they're working to build the check. Just offering something else is often enough to get the sale. So can you add a dessert like a slice of cake or a pie? Can you suggest a cocktail jar? If they feel awkward doing it, it's now your job to coach them through it. Your survival depends on it. Finally, number three, stuff your menu in there along with a postcard that says, get 20% off your next order when you call the restaurant directly. You've got to find a way to get them to shift away from seamless and order with you directly. Do all of that, and I promise you'll get through the next four, six, eight weeks, whatever it ends up being. I also want you to look around and see what other places are doing, right? That's certainly what I've been doing. I wasn't the first one to put cocktails in a jar. I was seeing a bunch of other restaurants do a similar thing. What I did was adapt the idea for this restaurant, Buckley's, and their audience. So if you can do it in your state, you should try to do the same. And by keeping your eyes open, you'll see other ideas that you may very well be able to adapt. Now, with that being said, I'm going to share 10 more of my favorites, right? These are uh, e-blasts that have landed on my inbox or promotions I've seen on social media or in articles online. Steal them, rework them, bend them to fit into your concept. I hope they provide some solutions to help you get through the coming weeks. Remember, I've also created that cheat sheet to go along with this episode where I outline the play for all 10 of these ideas. You can download that by visiting chipclose.com coronavirus. I'm also including a bunch of links in the show notes so you can see firsthand what all these places are doing. So let's get into it. 
Number one, I talked about Olmsted at length a few weeks ago, and so I'm going to use them again because what they're doing right now is actually really awesome. They've set up something they're calling the Restaurant Workers Relief Program. It's something of a food bank where the chef and his team are packaging up food to go each and every night for displaced restaurant workers. They're also providing all kinds of household essentials for those in need, so paper towels and toilet paper and dish soap and diapers and and lots more. Of course, this is in addition to the work they're doing with uh, the New York Hospitality Coalition, the organization I mentioned just a few minutes ago. It's a special thing to witness. Again, they're a special restaurant, and, and it's really cool to see what they're doing for the community. Number two, there's another restaurant here in Brooklyn over in Park Slope called Camperdown Elm, and they're doing delivery via the, the site Caviar, but they've also launched a tasting series. So every Sunday night, they're doing a wine tasting via Zoom with the restaurant's wine director. So you place an order on their website uh, sometime during the week to get all five of the wines delivered. Uh, then you're given a login code to join the Zoom tasting on Sunday evening. So it's like a like a webinar where a bunch of people are all having a shared experience. You get to taste all five wines, right? Because everyone has placed the order. The wine has been delivered to every single person. So you get all five wines, one after the other, in the comfort of your own home. And last week was their very first one. And uh, surprise, surprise, it sold out completely. I think they sold like... 100 tickets to the thing, and I expect they'll keep going with this on and on uh, for the duration of the shutdown. It was like $150 a person, right? So you get all the wine plus this wine class. But my question is, what will happen when real life resumes? Will they keep these Zoom tastings as is, or will they move them to the restaurant or another location? Because it seems like these things are really, really taking off. So again, there's that wine tasting idea. Number three, Delicious Hospitality Group, also here in New York City. I talked about this one last week, but it's worth mentioning here again. They've started doing home delivery meal kits via their wine shop, Parcel. Uh, they're partnering with Baldor, a prominent food distributor here in the area, to help keep people fed at home and the farmers in business. So they're daily at-home meal kits with snacks for the kids and recipes to help you put the ingredients all together. My question is, could you do something like this? Number four, Atrium Dumbo. So remember, this is Alex LaPratt's restaurant here in Brooklyn. Many of you will remember the interview I did with him back on episode number 33. In an effort to keep a little revenue going, they're offering takeout, of course. They're also giving uh, discounts on all gift cards that are purchased during the shutdown. But most notably, they set up a wine and spirits auction to sell off some of their prized labels. So right now, they've got a lot that includes a bottle of 89 and 90 Joseph Phelps Insignia, another one for Pappy Van Winkle Bourbon, one of the most sought-after bottles in the world. Each week, they're going up and they're putting on another three or four lots just to keep a little revenue moving. Number five, their sister restaurant, Beasts and Bottles, is doing cocktails as well, but they've put together little cocktail bottles. So they've got Moscow Mules and Manhattans and Aperol Spritz beautifully packaged. All you need is a bottle opener and some ice and you're ready to go. I think they come in little packs of four, absolutely brilliant, totally in line with their brand and a great way to drive revenue. Number six here on the list, great performances, right? This is New York's premier caterer. I've worked with them a lot in the past. They're the exclusive catering partner with places like the Plaza Hotel, Jazz at Lincoln Center, Wave Hill up in the Bronx, uh, Brooklyn Academy of Music, the Brooklyn Museum, and many more. Ever since shutting down operations, they've beefed up their content on their website. They've launched an entire page dedicated to helping parents cook delicious, 
healthy, cost-conscious meals as a way of getting kids involved in the kitchen. So their tagline, their their motto is life happens around food and it inspires, it weaves through everything they do. This is one key way they're helping to support that mission. Again, as with all of these, the link to that uh, page is in the show notes. Go ahead, try out some, uh, some recipes with your kids. It's a really cool thing they're doing. Uh, number seven, craft. So Tom Colicchio of Top Chef fame is, of course, the one behind the craft empire, and he's decided to shut down all of his restaurants. But he's also shut down all of their websites. In their place, he's keeping an updated list of resources for restaurant owners and restaurant employees, a way to bring the industry together and make sure everyone has up-to-date information. So Tom has always been political. He's a big donor for past presidents and and one of the people leading this charge to bring small business owners together to help raise their voices up. This is probably just as good a place as any to start, especially for New York restaurateurs. Again, you can find the link in the show notes. It's it's really cool to see what he's doing. Uh, Number eight, Petra and the Beast in Dallas, Texas. Uh, They've used this shutdown as an opportunity to get creative. So like so many restaurants out there, they're offering a takeout menu to help keep some of the people employed and and maintain a little cash flow, but they knew their regular food wouldn't travel well, so they dug deep and crafted an entirely new menu, one they knew would appeal to their audience and would travel well. So chef owner Misty Norris was interviewed in Bon Appetit magazine, and she said that in a time of such incredible uncertainty, uh, it was actually really nice to be able to just show up to work and, and do the thing that she knows how to do, which is create food, come up with bold new dishes that will wow her guests. I guess I'm wondering, can this be an opportunity for you out there to feed that creative beast as well? Number nine, Morgan McLaughlin is the master distiller at Amass Distillery in Los Angeles. And when she saw there was a hand sanitizer shortage, she looked around and said, wait a minute, we have everything we need right here to create our own hand sanitizer. So that's just what she did. Based on the ancient Four Thieves recipe, it's a medieval botanical blend thought to have actually helped against the spread of the plague all those many decades ago. It's a combination of eucalyptus, cloves, cinnamon, and allspice, along with a blend of alcohol, glycerin, and aloe. Voila, hand sanitizer. Best of all, she's donating a portion of the sales to the United States Bartenders uh, Guild relief efforts, and before they packaged anything to sell to the general public, they donated the first 15000 bottles to the medical community. Finally, number 10 here, Federal Hill Pizza Company in Rhode Island. Um, They already bring in a lot of income from takeout, but still they were hit hard when they had to close up their in-store dining. So they pushed harder for to-go business, but it became quickly clear that it was no longer about profits. It was about making rent and being able to pay their payroll. Payroll's important because they've tried to keep as many people on board as they could. So waiters have shifted to phones. Some of them are now even doing delivery. The goal was survival, just trying to keep their team healthy and fed. Best of all, this crisis forced them to get creative, and so they started putting together at-home pizza kits. They were hearing from a lot of their regulars who said uh, their kids were starting to go crazy from boredom. Aha! An activity that the whole family can get in on. The restaurant provides the dough, the cheese, the sauce, and the toppings. Then the family gets to roll it out, shred the cheese, spoon out the sauce, and add their favorite toppings. Best of all, the community response has been incredible, and they actually think the at-home pizza kits are going to continue to be a product that lasts long after the crisis. Again, I want to be clear here. Our industry has been upended, and so many of us have been forced to pivot. 
Your ability to stay nimble and change quickly is the thing that will keep you alive. It's what's going to get you through this difficult time, and it's what will keep you thriving when we get to the other side. When we get through this crisis, it will not be business as usual. Yes, our staff will come back, and yes, our patrons will return, but our industry will be forever changed. Just like you have a diversified stock portfolio, you now want to think about diversifying your revenue streams. Now that you've taught yourself how to do delivery, what will you do with that in the long term? And again, I know delivery isn't right for every concept, but can you run a delivery service out of your back door? Can you create a separate brand that can still be executed out of your kitchen? How can you take the limited real estate you have and drive more revenue? That is always the question, but I think it's now become all that more real. So remember, back to what we said in the beginning, the two takeaways this week. Number one, how can you come together with other restaurant owners in your community to help raise awareness for the problems you're facing? And number two, how can you use this pivot to inform your future operations? The business that stays nimble will succeed, and I want that for all of you. Now, I also want to provide another list for you today before I let you go. So these came from a Forbes article that was just published last week. Uh, Of course, I'm linking to that as well in the show notes. It was all about this topic, right? Seeing how restaurants are pivoting during this crisis and then trying to understand what's working and what isn't. But they shared this top 10 list to help business owners figure out what to do with their free time during this crisis. I've taken the liberty of amending a bunch of these for our own purposes here. Uh, These are also included in this week's freebie. So of course, you can view the original list by clicking the link to the article in the show notes, or you can hear my version here. You can also see my version when you get that freebie. So 10 things to help support a pivot. Number one, take time to go over your numbers before And after the crisis, start understanding what your revenue and margins are now and how they compare with the old systems. Number two, set up regular Zoom calls with your leadership team. So this could be your GM and your executive chef or maybe everyone on your management team. If these people are to be with you for the long haul, it's in your best interest to bounce ideas back and forth with them. Number three, maintain and perhaps even increase communication with your customers and your partners, updating them as much as you can on what you're doing during this crisis. Number four, build a daily schedule for you and maybe even your team and follow it strictly. I've talked about this before. Productivity starts by setting goals and then coming up with tasks that specifically help you achieve those goals. Number five, give your mind time to wander, meaning Use this time to get creative, whether that's menu development or rebranding or whatever. Use this time. Number six, focus on personal development. This goes for you. It goes for your team. What are you doing with your time? Can you dedicate one hour a day to learning a new skill? There are so many incredible resources online, both paid and free, where you can teach yourself a new skill. There are all kinds of online courses available and YouTube channels dedicated to teaching people how to do things. So maybe this is where you ask your team what they'd like to learn and then help them learn that. Ask for input, right? This is number seven, especially with your community and listen carefully to what they say. When you're in go, 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 go mode, it's sometimes hard to take criticism or to really hear the criticism. Now you've got nothing to time. So ask and listen. Number eight, make networking a priority. Reach out to at least five people a day to touch base and see how they are and ask for nothing in return. Just be there with them and be there for them. 
Number nine, change your mindset from selling to support. How can you help your community? That, of course, means your staff, your employees, but also the people you serve. The goodwill generated from this will help your business in the long run. And finally, here on this list, number 10, just like we talked about a few weeks ago, enjoy the silver lining of extra quality time with family or the luxury of, uh, of self-reflection and solitude. This time is whatever you want it to be. Finally, remember what we spoke about in the beginning. What does all this have to do with marketing? It has to do with creating something remarkable, something your audience is dying for. Whatever that means to you, that's what you should do. So for Buckley's out here in Brooklyn, it was about creating affordable meals for the whole family, right? That four for 40 deal. For Amass, it was about shifting production from gin to hand sanitizer. For Tom Clicchio and his team at Crafted Hospitality, it was about using his connections to be an advocate for all the little guys out there. You are remarkable, and this is your opportunity to prove that to your audience, to serve them and become the answer to their prayers. By doing that, they will also be the answer to yours. I want to thank you again, as I do each and every week for tuning in. I know it's a crazy time for all of us, and I appreciate you being here. Until next time, enjoy this time with your family, and please stay safe.